you think about the promises that God makes to His people, there are really two categories. That is, unconditional promises and conditional promises. The first one is unilateral. Those are the type that God makes and He says, I'm going to do this or that, and it doesn't matter what else happens or what people's response to that is, but it's going to happen that way. And there are a couple of things that I think of in that regard. You remember when Noah came off the ark, God made the promise that he would no, never again destroy the earth with a flood. That was an unconditional promise. It didn't matter how bad, how evil people would get, that was a promise that God made and he was going to fulfill. In Genesis 15, a similar type promise God made to Abraham when he said, I'm going to bless the world through your descendants and your descendants will inherit the promised land. That was not based on their performance. That was just something that God said is going to happen unilaterally. And it eventually did. But most of the promises that God makes to us are of the other variety. That is, they come with conditions and require cooperation on the part of men and women for them to come, come to pass. And we're going to see that pattern follow with these four examples of faith here in Hebrews 11 tonight. Now, I was in a class recently, uh, and these two men that I have here in parentheses, Steve Tucker and Dan Greer, taught it. This is a few years ago in another congregation. And we were talking about a similar topic, and they uh, put this forward, this format of faith principles, and I thought it was good. So I asked them, can I use it? And they said, sure. And so that's what I'm doing to introduce these four verses tonight. Generally, when God makes a conditional promise, the first thing that happens is a truth is revealed. Now, He may do that through His Word. He may do it through a prophet. He may do it through visions or whatever, but He reveals a truth. Let's say in the case of the walls of Jericho, he says, at the beginning to Joshua, I've delivered Jericho under your hand. So that's a promise. But it required obeying instructions, didn't it? For it to come to pass. And so you've got the first step is God reveals the truth. The second step is we have to believe His promise, right? We, we have to realize that God is trustworthy. We've seen that in our lives before. We've seen Him be faithful, and we trust Him. And so we trust Him at His word. We see that in that same instance in Jericho. Joshua trusted God, and the army trusted Joshua when he gave them the instructions because they trusted God behind it. Thirdly, after the promise is believed, an action has to be taken. It's not just enough to say you believe, you need to act on that belief, right? In the case of the walls of Jericho, what would have happened if they had not followed directions and not walked around the city six days and then on the seventh day seven times? What would have happened? I dare say the walls would not have fallen. See, so action had to be taken. And then finally, the blessing is received. Notice the blessing comes 
after the people act, after they marched around. And so I think you see those principles active in all four of these examples. In the case of Jericho, the walls collapsed and they conquered the city, right? So the blessing was received. Now just because we received that blessing from God doesn't mean that we earned it by our actions. It was a gift of God, right? These folks were not, you know, perfect people, but yet God delivered Jericho to them because He had a purpose behind it. And they were the benefits of that promise. And they had faith. And they acted on that faith. And that's what we're called to, isn't it? In our daily life. Well, let's look at these four verses. First of all, verse 28. Uh, we mentioned this uh, last week, so we won't talk too much about it. But here's the example of the first Passover. And there you have God giving Moses instructions about uh, slaughtering a lamb on the 14th day of the first month. And uh, they prepared it all just as God had said. And what were they to do with that blood? Brush it on the door frames, right? And, and that would prevent them from the firstborn of their families being destroyed like the Egyptians. And that's what they did. They followed instructions, didn't they? they the Bible says they did just like Moses had instructed. And at midnight... The destroyer kills all the firstborn of Egypt, but all the Israelite homes who obeyed were saved and were not destroyed. Now, I think David mentioned he thought God, the Lord God did this directly and did not use an angel, and that could be the case. If you look at uh, Exodus 12 and verse 12, it seems to say that, that the Lord Himself does this. But one of the things that caught my eye, if you go on into the story, in verse 23 of Exodus 12, uh, it seems to indicate that maybe that he had a helper. I don't know. He says there that the Lord God will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses. In Exodus 12, 23. So I don't know if it was a death angel there with him or what. But it really doesn't matter because who's doing the killing? It's under the instruction of the Lord God, right? And so uh, either way, God's the one doing this thing. God's the one that's killing the disobedient and allowing the others to live because they had faith and obeyed His instructions. And so finally, Pharaoh does what? He agrees to let the people go. And uh, they left uh, during the night. You know, Pharaoh says, look, if, we, if you stay any longer, we might all die. So we'll get out of town. So he, so he let them go. All right, it wasn't too long again before their troubles came back to them, sooner than they thought. Look at verse 29. We see that they come and encamp along the Red Sea, between the desert and the sea. And it seems to be that God had kind of given them an indirect route on purpose and put them in a vulnerable spot on purpose because He wanted to harden Pharaoh's heart and He had some glory to show. 
And so there they are, and uh, Pharaoh says, look, they're trapped at the sea. This is my chance. We shouldn't have let them go in the first place. And so he sends 600 chariots after them. What do the people, what's the people's response when they see the chariots coming? They're terrified. And they, they asked Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? And of course, Moses says, don't be afraid. The Lord is going to fight for you. Just be still and watch his power. And so, even though Pharaoh changed his mind, God had something in store for him that he didn't expect. And so, by God's power, Moses lifted his staff, and what happened to the waters of the Red Sea? They parted. Now, I'd forgotten about this, but it took most of the night for that to happen. It says a strong east wind came, uh, and, it, and it moved the waters back. And then it says the, the people of Israel walked across it. Now you say, well, of course they did. Well, <laughs> just think about it for a minute. This is not a usual happening. You've got the, you know, this rushing water up on the sides here, and you've got to say, walk on a cross. Well, who's to know when they're going to fall back on us? So it took some faith, didn't it? So they walked across, and then they got to the other side, and what happened to the waters? When the Egyptians came in with their chariots, God said He confused them and He jammed the wheels of the chariots. And there they are. And at daybreak, the waters came back and drowned everyone in the Egyptian army. And the result was that the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and Moses for what had happened. Put their trust in God? Well, for a little while. But like most of us, once we see the power of God and a few days go by and years go by, we tend to forget. And these people did too and struggled for 40 years in the wilderness, didn't they? After they'd seen this great miracle. And you know, I think uh, some of us, when we talk about these miracles like the parting of the Red Sea, we might tend to have our doubts and think, did this really happen this way? You know, it, it often is a, it's something that's perplexing to me that why so many Christians doubt that God can do a miracle. If we believe that He created us and created everything in the heavens and the earth with all the intricate detail and the mighty power He displayed in that, why should it be hard for God to change the forces of nature? For his purpose? Yet, I talked to a, a preacher a few years ago about this and got to discussing it. And, and I said, so you don't actually think the Red Sea parted? And he said, I doubt it. Maybe. And uh, then I asked him about the, do you not think the walls of Jericho fell like it was described here? No, I think it was just a spiritual story. I think archaeology's proven it wrong. This is a preacher who was telling me that. And I thought, wow, this is the thing that I think undermines 
some of the faith of our people when they see a conflicting message coming from the pulpit. This is the power of God. He has no problem causing the walls to fall and the waters to part. Well, let's move on to verse 30. Here we see another example of faith on the part of Joshua and the people of Israel. They have crossed the Red Sea. They have finally, after many years, crossed the Jordan River with God's help again. And they're coming on this well-fortified enemy stronghold at Jericho. The thing we learn from history is that this was built on an embankment with thick walls and very high walls. So it was not an easy target. But it was in a place that was strategic for future victory to take the promised land. It was kind of in the middle. It would provide a base for northern attacks and southern attacks. So they needed to take Jericho. And so just like you and me, we come... Uh, to a place in our life when the enemy seems to have a stronghold. And we've got, what do we do? Do we give it to God or do we defold under pressure? In this case, Joshua and the people believed God's message when he told them, I've given the city of Jericho to you. Just do what I say. Now can you imagine being Joshua when you hear the message about the military style of laying siege to this city <laughs> that he receives from God. Okay, Joshua, I want you and your army to march around the walls six days straight, you know, one time on each of those six days, blowing the ram's horn with the Ark of the Covenant and the priest and all that, and I want you to be silent during that whole time. But then on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times, Blowing and blowing the horns, and when the, the horns are blown at the end of the seventh roundabout, I want you to shout. And what will happen? The walls will collapse, and you can go in and take the city. And Joshua relates this to his soldiers, and what do they do? They, they obey the Lord's instruction. Even though it must have seemed rather strange form of attack. How about you? Have you ever been a place in your life where God seems to have a plan that runs contrary to human reasoning? <laughs> uh, I'm in one right now. I have a health concern and I, I question God sometimes about His plan about how to fix it. <laughs> how about you? You ever been there? But I have faith that he's going to make it happen. He's going to make something good come out of it. So when we come to a stronghold, we use the weapons that God has given us. And as these people did, they obeyed and the walls fell. And when the walls collapsed, they came in and they burned the city. But who did they save first? They came in and saved Rahab because she had hid the spies that Joshua had sent. And so she, was brought, she and her family were brought to safety, just like they promised. And so these walls fell. You know, back in the 1930s, there was an archaeologist who did an 
excavation of this area where they think Jericho was, and he came back with the conclusion that this didn't happen like the Bible said. He found no evidence of it. And so people that were hypercritical of the Bible jumped on that, and, and some Christians began to you know, question their faith about Old Testament stories. And then in the 1950s, there was another archaeologist who came in. I think her name was Kenyon, if I recall correctly. And she found piles of burnt bricks that seemed to be a collapsed wall, just like the Bible had described. And people said, oh, you mean the Bible's true again? And so many times that has happened. Uh, we just on the front end would be better off trusting God for what he tells us to be the truth. And then in verse 31, we have this extended story in Jericho with Rahab and her family who were spared when Jericho fell. And you remember that as Joshua sent in the two spies, I think by God's direction probably, they ended up at Rahab's home. Now, what was her profession? <laughs> Not one that was highly regarded, you know, by most godly people, right? She was a prostitute. But yet, her heart seemed to be ready to accept the good news about God and His people because she had heard the stories of Israel's great victories. Uh, she had heard the story of the parting of the Red Sea. She had heard the story of how they had defeated the two Amorite kings and wiped them out. And she and the rest of the people of Jericho were just melting in fear, the Bible said. And so she began to question and she, she said, look, if he's doing all this, he must be the God of all the heavens and the earth. And so she had enough faith that she would risk her own life by hiding these slaves because the king of Jericho, if he found out about that, would have her executed. But yet she was effective in hiding, hiding them on a roof and misleading the people as they tried to go after the spies after that. And because of her faith, as she let them down out of her window, which was built on the side of the walls of Jericho. As she let them down, she, uh, they later said, if you'll put this, what, let's see, was it a scarlet cord? Yeah, a scarlet cord in the window. That'll be a sign for your family to be held safe when we take this city. And that's what she did. So here's a lady who was a non-Israelite, who was a sinner by trade, and yet God used her in a mighty way. Just think about Rahab. She was blessed to be, not only to escape with her life, but what happened to her once she joined up with the Israelites. She married into Israel, and her descendants were such people as Boaz, King David, and eventually the Messiah. So here's a, a sinner, a non-Israelite, who God includes in the genealogy to the Messiah. 
What a wonderful privilege. Because she had faith and repented and turned to God. And so we know that God loves all people and anyone that would come in faith, he'll accept, as he did with Rahab. Well, what kind of lessons can we learn from these four verses? When God makes a promise, you can count on it. What does Numbers 23 say? God is not a human that he should lie. Does God promise one thing and not fulfill it? Of course, that's a rhetorical question, isn't it? No, if God promises, he will not flip-flop, but he will fulfill it. And one example of that is I thought about this that fits good with our lesson today. God, in, remember in Genesis 15, God promised that Abraham's descendants would inherit the promised land. But that would be many years later, right? And they had to take a detour and it didn't happen all at once. But eventually it did happen because in Joshua chapter 21 in verse 43, it says this. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands, not one of all the Lord's promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Here's a God who fulfills His promises to you and to these folks too who were godly people. Second lesson is that sometimes God's plan may appear to be foolish. We mentioned that earlier. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. Sometimes we think we know better than God. Even these heroes of faith had that trouble from time to time. Think of Abraham. He had the promise. You're going to have this promised son. Later to be named Isaac. He promised him that at age 75. At age 100, he finally had Isaac. And in between time, Abraham tried to manipulate things, him and Sarah, to make it work for God, right? And it got them all sorts of trouble. We do the same thing. And we need to remember that God's plan is better than ours. Third lesson, true faith results in action. Uh, do you remember the story in 2 Kings 5 with Naaman, the Syrian commander? Uh, you know, he was a pretty elite guy in his community. Uh, the king of Syria, or Aram back then, I believe it was. That's what it was called. He held him in high regard, but he had a disease. He had leprosy, didn't he? And his servant girl, through his wife's servant girl, was an Israelite. And she came to him and said to her master, Look, I know somebody can heal you. Elisha, back in Israel. And if you'll just go back there, and uh, I think that he'll heal you of this leprosy. So eventually he brings his chariot up to Elisha's house and expects Elijah to come out. 
and to wave his hand over him in some pomp and circumstance, make a big deal of it and heal him. Didn't happen that way, did it? <laughs> he said, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. And wow, Naaman didn't like that, did he? He said, I've got, we've got some rivers back home I could have washed in. Much easier than that. And so he wouldn't do it at first. But finally his servants convinced, convinced him, go do what the prophet told you to do. Just do it. And when he did, what happened? He was cleansed. Was it because the waters of Jordan were miraculous in themselves? No. He obeyed God, right? He obeyed God. And he was cleansed. You and I are called to do the same thing. Fourth lesson, nothing is too difficult for God. Again, why should we question that God cannot, that God is unable to do miracles? Yes, he, he has all the power that he needs, and walls can fall. Next, God does not play favorites. He accepts anyone who comes by faith. In Acts 10, Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? It doesn't matter what people group, what color of skin, what ethnicity they are. Uh, God will accept anybody who repents and comes to Him. That's the God we serve, and that's the people we should be like. And then the next one, the victory is the Lord's. Remember the people terrified at the advancing Egyptian army at the Red Sea? And what did Moses tell the people? The Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is be still, and when He tells you to walk, walk. That's all you got to do. The Lord is the one who will win the victory if we'll just follow His instructions. And then the next lesson is that God may take drastic measures to keep His people pure. In the case of Jericho, He wiped them all out, didn't He? All the disobedient to keep His people pure. Uh, in the case of the, wa the waters of the Red Sea that came back on the Egyptians and wiped out every one of them. There are some stories in the Old Testament I don't understand exactly why God did what He did. But I, I have learned in recent studies that He gave them hundreds of years to repent in many cases. But these people that were wiped out many times were so evil and on the downgrade there was no hope for them. God gave them plenty of chances. And, uh, and sometimes though God says we just need to separate, separate ourselves from evil. We'll be contaminated by it, won't we? That's happened in our culture. I think sometimes we in the church, I think Alan's mentioned this in our class, son. sometimes we've kind of taking the culture on too, too much, trying to be like them. And I don't think we should try to be weird, but we should try to stand up for godly principles, shouldn't we? And, and not let ourselves be contaminated. 
Well, there, uh, as I start to wrap things up tonight, I want to mention some misconceptions that we need to try to avoid. And I see some of these ideas kind of circulating in the church sometimes. And I thought I'd share them with you. Keep us cautious. And the first misconception is this. If I'm faithful, God will always provide me with ease, health, and prosperity. You ever heard that talk? You ever watch these televangelists, some of them, making all these grand promises about material wealth and, and prosperity and health? And what happens a lot of times is these people eventually get sick or lose their job or whatever, and they're, they're demoralized. Because they've been told that if those things happen to you, it's because you don't have faith. And so they have to be tended to after that. I remember uh, my daughter, when she was in college, uh, was dating a fella, and she was going visiting a church with him. I think it was in Jackson, Mississippi at the time. And she came back from that service and said, she would uh, said, Dad, I heard some preaching tonight that I'm not quite sure about. And she started relating to me some of the principles, and I said, I think I know what's going on. I, I named a preacher uh, that was known about this movement, and I said, what did they have to say about this guy? Said, oh, they love him. I said, I know what it is. <laughs> I think it's the Word of Faith movement. And that is this idea that if Bad things happen to you it's because you just don't have faith. We know that's not true. What do you do with Job? What do you do with Paul who asked that the thorn of flesh be removed? And yet God said, no, but my grace is sufficient for you. A second misconception that we might have to battle is this idea. If I hold to the correct set of beliefs, if I go to the right church, then God considers me faithful. Now, should we try to have the right doctrines and the right set of beliefs and go to the best church we can go to? Sure. That's not what God's all about, is He? He wants a loving, trusting relationship with us that changes our lives, right? So that we can live holy and be transformed into the image of Christ. And so it's not enough just to say, I go to the right church. And have these ideas. All right. Thirdly, faith requires me to take a blind leap. Now, David did a great job on this, the first lesson that he had on this idea. Our faith is based on evidence, it's reasonable. There are reasons to believe what God has promised. He's been faithful in the past, He's shown us to be faithful. Uh, Let's take the resurrection of Christ. Are there any good evidences to support that? There sure are. Now, do you come to a place where you have to have faith when you can't prove it and you might not be able to touch it or see it? Yes, there's a place where you've got to have faith, but it's not a blind leap. It's based on evidence that God has provided for us. And we need to be well acquainted with those evidences. And then finally, this idea that faith in faith is all you got to have. 
It doesn't matter about who the object of your faith is. Now, I hope I don't ruffle any feathers here, but this kind of reminds me of Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she has kind of this idea, and she's not the only one. That is, if you just have faith in something of a positive nature, her idea of God is kind of a, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it's not the God of the Bible, okay? It's kind of a mixture of Eastern mysticism and positive thinking and all of this idea. And, and there's nothing wrong with positive thinking. But some people carry it too far and they just say, just, if I have good vibes, if I'm connected with the universe in the right way, if I, if I just have faith, then I'm going to make it. It doesn't matter that their faith is in something other than the God of the Bible. And so... We need to be careful. Our faith doesn't have to be perfect. It's going to be weak at times. But what matters is, who is the object of our faith? He is strong. He is powerful. And so when I get weak, and I begin to struggle, I go back to Him. And I wrestle with Him sometimes. But I always go back to God. Where else can you go? No place else to go. In conclusion, I'm reminded of Habakkuk. You remember the story of the prophet there who began to question God about what he was doing with the people of Israel? Uh, Habakkuk was really upset with all the violence and the evil in the land. And he said, God, you're not doing anything. What are you going to do about it? God says, hold on, Habakkuk, I've got a plan. I've already started it, in fact. He says, okay, what is it? Well, the Babylonians, I'm going to send them in to bring justice. He says, the Babylonians, they're worse than us. You're going to send them? And so he wrestled with God on that. And after God finally convinced him that he knew better than Habakkuk, what did Habakkuk say in Habakkuk 3, verse 17? I love this. He finally gave it to God and rejoiced in God. And he said this, Habakkuk 3, 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I hope that's a place I can come to at the end of the day. When I don't understand God and when things happen to me that I can't explain, I'm there to trust Him. He's been faithful to me and He'll help me through it one more time. And really, He doesn't cause us call us to be faithful for a long time in the future. He calls us to be faithful day by day. And say, I may not be able to understand how I'm going to get through two years from now, but I know that through today, God can take me through the day and help me to continue my faith. And if I do that every day, when it comes to the end, I will be faithful and God will bless me with the home that we sang about earlier this evening. I look forward to that. How about you? God bless you. I enjoyed 
Right. Being with you this evening.